Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is not about your body. I'm Jesse Neeland, and today I was thinking of talking about a question that came up after episode 50 on, uh, <laughs> it's called the penal code on uh, penises and body image that I did. Um, somebody asked what I meant by queer sex. So I, I referenced queer sex as sort of a very broad category. Uh, and so someone wanted to know what I meant by that. And I thought I'd come over here and kind of flesh that out a little bit because it's, it's possibly something that other people are wondering about, but also the way that I use it is uh, very specific. <laughs> and so I thought it would be a really good thing to explore. Um, so just so that you know, my background, if you don't know this, um, I am bisexual and I am gender non-binary, so basically I'm queer in multiple ways, and uh, the word queer is my preference. I just think it's such a, I don't know, comfortable, sweet, like, I love the word queer. I love being queer. Um, you know, I can certainly identify with other bits of language, but I, I like to say queer to sort of encapsulate the entire experience of being away from the kind of heteronormative um, script for how a person is supposed to be or how life is supposed to look. Uh, even I would say like being non-monogamous is in my experience of relationships feels very queer. Like to me, I so, sort of put it into that category as well. Um, you know, it's, it's abnormal, which is sort of like the original, uh, definition of the word. It's, it's different from what we've been given as like a default and it just goes against this, um, yeah, this cultural script about how things are supposed to be or how they have to be or what makes something <laughs> good and worthy. So, yeah, that's where I come from when I use the word queer. And now everybody's different, right? So most of the LGBTQ uh, folks that I know will use queer to cover kind of that entire umbrella. Like queer can apply to any of those things. You can be gay and queer, bisexual and queer, um, gender nonconforming and queer, transgender and queer. Like you you can use this term for, for anything there. It's general enough. And I think that makes it feel very inclusive and nice to me. And also it helps avoid, I think, the need to get super specific. Like am I more bi or more gay? You know, it just sort of takes takes a little bit of the pressure off to have like a super specific label, especially as you're figuring out your answers to this question or as you're moving through life and discovering that your answer changes during different times or in different relationships or whatever. Um, and because that's so normal, this long evolution and this this sort of shifting of how we understand ourselves, to me, queer just feels like you can use this word to say it's not heterosexual. It is not heteronormative. I am not um, a part of that category. I am something else. And by being in that something else, you don't have to yet know exactly what, which I love. I think it's a really a really kind and inclusive word in that way. Um, of course, it did have really like, you know, disrespectful, slurry kind of roots. You know, when I was growing up, calling someone queer was like calling them a fag or, you know, it, it was basically like a a slur against gay people or specifically against um, men who were too effeminate or whatever. So, you know, it used to be a bad word. It's been reclaimed. I just think given the original definition, it's adorable. <laughs> like, it's so perfect and lovely. And it has this really warm and connective feeling to me where, like, it just makes space for everybody who's questioning and it makes space for us to evolve. And I just love that. 
especially as somebody who has spent a lot of time questioning and evolving my understandings of the specific labels that I use sort of underneath the umbrella, you know. Um, it's nice to be like, I've always been queer. I will always be queer. But in any given moment, I might identify a little bit differently. You know, I might get new information and say, oh, okay, I see this new part of myself now or, you know, whatever, whatever shifts. I don't have to say, okay, I'm this, not that. I can say, I've always been queer. I will always be queer. And that feels really lovely to me. Um, so what is queer sex? Well, given that definition of queer, I'm sure you can understand that there is no definition I can give you of what queer sex is or how it looks, but, but the way that I use the term, it refers to anything, again, outside of this heteronormative sort of script and definition of how sex goes. Um, a queer relationship, likewise, can be a relationship between two queer people, but I believe you can also have a queer relationship, um, if that relationship is based on principles that completely divest themselves from uh, the kind of heteronormative script that we've been given, which is sort of why I include um, being non-monogamous as a, a thing that to me feels like queering a relationship. Um, I don't necessarily know that other people would or wouldn't use that definition, but to me it feels like it's all in the same category. And when it comes to sex, it's the same thing. So when we think about sex, the sort of, you know, biggest cultural uh, default position, it's like man and woman, penis and vagina. So if you are having heteronormative sex, there are a lot of assumptions that can be made. Of course, everybody's different. Every relationship, every sexual encounter, every body. So like, I can't tell you what straight sex looks like. I can't even really tell you what heteronormative sex looks like because it is a wide spectrum. But I can say that there are some statistical assumptions I could make. For example, um, it will probably be pretty penis-centric. So it'll be sort of focused on uh, the man's pleasure, his arousal, um, him getting a, a hard-on, and then when he... When sex starts is usually like the moment of penetration, like penis and vagina penetration is sort of, you know, a lot of times there may be like a, a rolling foreplay that we sort of see in the porn script for men and women where it's like, you know, maybe they make out for a while, maybe there's some boob play, maybe not, uh, maybe she goes down on him for a while. And then penis and vagina penetration. That's like the script we're given. And then we're told that when he comes, sex is over. Uh, she may or may not come. That's often irrelevant to heteronormative sex. Uh, many straight guys want their partners to come. Many straight women do come. So this is not like a, you know, a judgment um, on all straight sex or anything. Just that there are some statistical likelihoods to what heteronormative script of sexuality often means. And in my life experience and uh, coaching experience and everything that I've learned as a clinical, a certified clinical sexologist, I believe that this sex sucks. I think it's terrible for everybody involved. It is a massive um, missed opportunity. I think that's the best way to put it because it's unsatisfying for most women. It's unsatisfying. Um, I would even argue that for a lot of guys, they don't even know what they're missing out on. And everybody's coming to that kind of script with a very particular, like, you know, ideas about gender and, um, you know, dominance or submission, who's supposed to do what in their gender role, which bodies are supposed to do which kind of things, and which acts are supposed to go in what order. There's just a lot of rules, which makes it a missed opportunity for everyone to explore what feels good. What actually feels good in the moment without a script, because there's just too much of that script getting in the way. You're like, oh, I guess I'll do this. And then we're supposed to do that instead of saying, 
in this moment, this is what feels good. In this moment, that doesn't feel good. And like really communicating with the other person and exploring what feels good. So huge missed opportunity. And there's lots and lots of stuff about this heteronormative sexual script that is damaging and even, you know, sort of skews towards violence because the idea is supposed to be with these gender norms where the man is supposed to like get a hard on, thrust until he comes and then like turn over and go to sleep or whatever. Um, women are often not getting pleasure, not getting um, even aroused because there isn't enough time for them to um, go through the the arousal process even. And the arousal process is a physiological process, I have to say. You can think, oh, I'm turned on. You can, you can have a, a sexy thought and not have gone through any arousal process. Um, that is what happens when your body prepares itself for sex. And for most women, that is a fairly uh, long process. It does not happen instantly. Even if you were to get wet instantly, you might not have gone through this entire arousal process. So there's there's a layering of experiences that has to draw your body from, ooh, this feels good, you know, all the way to like, I am ready for some kind of penetration or attempt at orgasm or, you know, more more intensive sexual experience. And we often think of foreplay like, oh, you know, someone going down on you. But like I'm thinking about even before that, the kind of foreplay that I'm talking about is like the kind that prepares you from just moving through the world as a normal person, thinking about normal things into, hmm, sex might sound nice, and then draws your body through this this series of changes. Um, for folks with vulvas and vaginas, that change is really, really amazing and cool. Um, if you have one and you've never looked at it, I highly recommend you do. Look at your your vulva in a mirror, um, in like a hand mirror or something, before you're aroused, before you're turned on, and then after. If you know how to get yourself to arousal, um, look at it after because it will look completely different. The entire landscape changes colors, changes sizes. The internal landscape of your of your vagina will also change, but of course that's a little harder to see. Um, but the vulva goes through all kinds of changes. The clitoris changes. You know, it, it puffs up, it, it expands, it gets more erect, much like men get erections. Um, you know, there's so much going on. And most women have no idea that that's supposed to go on or that that is or isn't going on. They are not using their own experience of arousal as any kind of metric for when they're ready for sex. They think of it as I'm ready for sex when my brain says we should, right? And then often their brain says we should when the guy in front of them wants to. Or, you know, if if he uh, gets her wet enough that he can enter, her or whatever like this is the heteronormative sexual script that we are looking at on a on a regular basis is like women who are not fully turned on having sex that they don't really want and can't really enjoy so that's a huge not just a missed opportunity right that's a huge problem as far as i'm concerned the orgasm gap which is to say the uh, statistical difference in how often men and women orgasm during heterosexual experiences like this um, which is massive and super disturbing um it says everything we need to know about why the heteronormative script for sex just doesn't work. It is not actually taking women's bodies into account. It is not actually taking um, everybody's real needs or desires into account at all. Um, it is following a script that we've been given culturally from the time we're born, even in like romance novels and, you know, Disney movies 
all the way up to porn, we see these heteronormative stories play out. And the cool thing, well, it's I'm problematic in this case, but the cool thing about how eroticization works is that we can learn to connect erotic energy to to kind of anything. You know, if we grew up in a culture in which this heteronormative script was not eroticized the same way, many of us would not feel like it was sexy. You know, if like the stories that we we saw and the porn that we watched was all skewed towards something else, um, we would probably attach an erotic charge to that something else and much less of an erotic charge to the sort of heteronormativity around gender roles and, and all that. And an easy example to look at this would be like how many women um, have eroticized uh, some kind of submissive role during sex. So there are many, many reasons why so many women fantasize about uh, having a submissive experience to someone who is dominant, um, sort of taking charge and, and giving them the experience or the pleasure that they crave. There are so many reasons. It's like one of the most common fantasies and, uh, you know, it can be super healthy and wonderful. But one of the reasons is because that's what we're sort of taught is like to eroticize passivity and to eroticize the idea of a man who is dominant and so that combination of having learned to associate an erotic charge to, you know, the woman just um, allowing, you know, or being being tossed around even um, or whatever. And the man really taking charge, really being dominant like that, that sexy, masculine, dominant energy has been eroticized everywhere from romance novels and frankly, like uh, even kids shows and stuff, you know, like we, we see this play out even outside of like actual erotic charge as a really positive thing um, that very, it feels very normal. It feels very good. It feels like that's what we're supposed to do. That's the message we get for every bit of our lives. And, uh, and at some point, you know, there is like an erotic charge attached. Now, that's not to say that if we hadn't seen all of those things, there wouldn't be women who craved submission, because of course, of, of course there would. But it just has to be pointed out that like, there is a pattern to what we learn to eroticize and what we find erotic. And frankly, this is what's going on a lot of times when we talk about men who find conventionally attractive women and women who find conventionally attractive men, um, attractive, you know, like if your type is classic hot, like you have probably learned to eroticize a very particular um, conventional beauty ideal. And not everybody does, you know, like obviously lots of people are having sex who don't fit that ideal, which means people find them sexy. Sexy is totally different. Attraction is totally different than conventional beauty ideals. But you can have a very um, connected attachment or association between those ideals and erotic energy. If that has been like your experience of what you have found sexy uh, and what you've been exposed to, you know. And just to give you another example, this can change throughout life so much. Like um, I know that the first, I, I always crushed on girls who were um, a little bit more androgynous, like my, my type for a long time when it came to um, crushes on women and who I was really attracted to was sort of tomboyish, um, yeah, androgynous, lightly butch. <laughs> and that was kind of, I think in so many ways, it was like, because it reminded me of the boys that I liked because the boys that I liked were sort of in that same category, you know, like, um, I just, I, it felt comfortable. It felt familiar. It felt like, uh, sexy and erotic because that was something that I understood and knew how to like reach in myself. You know what I mean? It was like, ah, yes, I know. I, I know. I like that. My first experience with a femme woman, like a, a super, 
uh, sort of girly um, femme woman was incredible and it changed my entire erotic charge around that and suddenly it was like I was moving through the world looking at other femme women being like oh my god these are now some of the sexiest people I've ever seen in my life but I had never really connected to it before because it was just a foreign concept I just hadn't had any erotic charge sort of connected to it because I never watched lesbian relationships and tv shows and movies and porn and you know whatever like I was new to even being able to find a category in my brain to put that erotic charge, connect it to, you know, uh, sort of two femme women together, which at the time is basically what it was. And it was just this incredibly sexy experience. So from then on, it it was like, now that charge is just there sort of forever. Um, And I love that, you know, I get to notice the changes to what my erotic charge is attached to over time. And that's why I say like queer is such a wonderful word for it because your type can change, especially, um, you know, throughout different experiences and things, your desires can change and your attraction can change. And all of that is just super wonderful and free. And if you were stuck with the heteronormative script, you wouldn't get to do that. You wouldn't get the opportunity to change your mind and like explore your erotic attachments because it would just be like, I like, a certain kind of man who is pretty masculine and, you know, does these things a certain way. And, you know, lots of straight women have evolving sexualities and attractions, but that, again, heteronormative is different than straight. So I'm talking about the culture here, not the people. Um, So queer sex, I think of as pretty much everything outside of this really limited script. So the script of heteronormativity when it comes to sex is pretty contained you know there's not a lot of freedom in it there's not a lot of um opportunities in it and pretty much everything else you know there's so much you can do sexually uh that everything else i would say kind of falls into queer sex but when i refer to queer sex i am really referring to uh both you know like for me it would be uh having sex with women or other um gender non-conforming folks like that feels to me like automatically falls into the category of queer sex uh but i could totally play out like a heteronormative dynamic with a woman like i could and that would be technically queer sex in the in that it was like you know, uh, part of my queer sexuality being experienced, but it wouldn't be what I, what I generally mean when I say queer sex, which is like that freedom and openness of, um, opportunities and possibilities that is brought by really divesting yourself, really separating yourself from wanting the straight narrative, wanting the straight, uh, script and sex, you know, experience. Um, and so in that way, I would say queer sex is just endless possibilities you can do anything and there are no rules and you have to create it together with the other person if you're having partnered sex and that is the incredible magic of it like this is why I believe (laughs) I feel bad for straight people like this is why I believe so much that like being queer is it's one of the most incredible pieces of who I am I love being queer for this reason because I I feel what a gift it is to be able to step into a space like that and experience all possibilities without a script. And to talk about, you know, to be able to talk about the fact that this script exists and also what we can do instead without any judgment, any gender roles. Um, you know, it's just, to me, 
it is an opportunity to be free and focus on pleasure and focus on connection in a way that the heteronormative script just really doesn't make much room for. Um, and a great example, I would even include kinky sex and kinky relationships in this category of queerness as well, because again, totally goes against the script. Um, and one of the things that I, I feel like is so important to say is, uh, you know, when folks ask like, what do lesbians do in bed? Or like, you know, there's just that big question of like, what do you even do from straight people? And to me, that just tells us everything we need to know about how straight sex is going. Because if you can't imagine what two people could do to give and receive pleasure, then you are probably having bad sex. You know, like if you can't imagine any other sex than penis and vagina, you are probably having some pretty unfulfilling, um, unsatisfying, unpleasurable sex. And maybe you love it. I'm not here to judge that. I'm just saying like there is so much more available to pleasure and sexuality and orgasm and connection and touch and play. There's just so freaking much available that has nothing to do with penis and vagina penetration. So if you're not experiencing any of that, if you're not exploring any of that, I feel sad, you know, I feel sad for you and your partner that you're missing out on this opportunity to co-create something incredible for both of you. And frankly, when I hear about, you know, um, heterosexual relationships where, there's the kind of classic dynamic of like he always wants sex and she always isn't in the mood or whatever. Like this is a big reason why. Because it's not that pleasurable for most women. So when we think like, oh, well, what would two women do together? Or, or you know, what does this queer couple even do? The answer is like everything and anything because we're not held back. And this can be true of a man and a woman too. We're not held back by this um container that we've been given for how it's supposed to look and for what's supposed to be sexy like you really literally have to I think kind of start from scratch because we weren't given the representation we were never really offered an eroticization of what our bodies find sexy like we don't have that map we don't have that container with rules in it and that's such an incredible gift. Like, obviously, I'm very pro-representation. I hope that, you know, younger generations are growing up with so much representation that they're not going to have the same experience. But in some ways, it's kind of amazing to, to look back and say, I never knew a, a gay person. I never saw a, a gay couple uh, until I was, like, in my 20s. And by the time I started being like, hey, I think I'm you know, uh, even actually for a long time when I was like, I'm into women, I was very much seeing that from like the sort of self-objectifier place of the male gaze. It was like, I'll make out with my women friends in front of guys. Why? Because that's like acceptable and sexy because it still existed for men. Like my pleasure, my turn on existed for men and, uh, men could enjoy it and they could sort of consume it. And I was like proud that I could, you know, give them this little fantasy of watching me and another girl make out. Whereas really, I just wanted to make out with a girl, you know, but I didn't have the container in my own head yet for even understanding that I was allowed to want to do that. And I was allowed to want to do it in private just for myself. It took me a long time to find all of that because I had no representation. All of that had to be built from scratch. I had to feel feelings and go, what is this feeling? Whereas when you feel straight feelings, you're like, I know exactly what this is. Literally every story in the entire world tells me what this feeling is. It's attraction for men. Like that's what I, I never questioned that I was attracted to, to boys. Like, of course I was. I always knew that because I always knew that was an option. I didn't know it was an option to be queer 
you know? And so once I started finding these bits of feelings inside myself, I really had to essentially invent everything from then on. Well, what am I into? What do I like? I had to experiment and explore and consider and talk about it. Like that to me is the joy and the gift of queer sex and, and being queer in general is getting to know yourself in this incredible, like built from the ground up way. And then making sex reflect that, like making sex exactly what you want it to be. Um, sometimes I, I want sex to be super connective and fulfilling emotionally. And other times I want sex to be just like, I want to come. I want to, I want to, you know, discharge energy. And other times it's like, I just want pleasure. And other times I'm like, I want to play with someone. I want to have that like feeling of, um, you know, kind of being, being on a team and having like an activity together. It's just a way of spending time and, and getting to be playful. So it can be so many different things. And I think when you give yourself permission to notice who you are, what you like, what you want, what feelings you're feeling, and you're totally off script, and you're not, you know, beholden to this heteronormative idea of what sex is and isn't, you just open up so many doors for so much more interesting, fulfilling, and pleasurable experiences. Um, and to me, that is queer sex. So when I refer to it that way, I'm, I'm sort of containing this whole gigantic category of, um, of wonderfulness that goes against or somehow sits outside of the script we've been given around like what sex is and should be and can be, you know? Um, and if you are in a straight relationship or if you are a woman partnered uh, with a man or you, you feel that you're following a heteronormative script in some way, um, it can be really interesting to question these things like, well, what would, how would you define sex? What would sex be if it didn't include penis and vagina penetration? How would you know it had started and how would you know it had finished? How would you know if it had gone on long enough? How would you know um, what to do, what you wanted to do? Like the answer to a lot of these is you'd have to kind of think about it and then you'd have to kind of talk about it, you know? Um, for example, how do lesbians know when they're done if they can both have multiple orgasms? Like how do you know sex is over if it's not just the guy finishes and, uh, you know, sex is done because he can't keep going? If both people can keep going or if neither of them has orgasms and it's all just about pleasure and play, how do you know when you're done? You have to talk about it. You have to check in. When do you want to be done? When do they want to be done? What does done even look like? You know, I mean, can sex include um, certain kinds of touch that are not even like genital? Can sex be mm, touching lightly all over the body, cuddling, kissing, um, massage? Like, is that all part of sex or do you want that to stay separate? If you're defining it, what is sex if not this script that you've been given? Um, and how do you even come to those answers? You know, like queer people have to come to those answers sort of on their own. And that is the magic of it. I think it just opens up so much incredible insight and possibility. So that's my spiel on queer sex. Um, yeah, I hope it's helpful. I mean, I don't really know the demographic of people who listen to this. So I'm not sure if like I've got a bunch of queer listeners nodding their heads and being like, yeah, duh, Jesse, we all know this. Or if it's a bunch of people following a heteronormative script, having their minds blown. So if you feel like letting me know, come on over and find me on Instagram um, at Jesse Neeland or, um, you know, Twitter or Facebook, 
Facebook at Jesse Neal and you can like leave me a message. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you listening. If you want to support my free content like this podcast, you can um, use the links in the show notes to go either over to my Patreon or to buymeacoffee.com and uh, leave me a tip or support me there. Always, always so appreciated. And uh, otherwise, I will catch you next week with the next episode.